I read this week about a philanthropist, Eli Broad. He's 80 years old. He's decided he wants Los Angeles to be the cultural center of the world, and he's given $800 million to the arts and museums in Los Angeles to make sure that it is the cultural center of the world, along with much, much other benevolence that he's been doing. When asked how he decides what to give to, he says, what I do is bet on people. That's his strategy. He spends time identifying effective leaders, and then he invests in them and their ideas. He bets on people. Well, I don't have a billion dollars, but I bet on somebody. I got one life to live. And I have tried my best to put it all in on Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, Son of God and Savior of the world. And when we sing, take my life, let it be consecrated to you, that's what we're saying. We're saying and we're singing, Lord, here we are. Everything about us, we believe you are the one and we are investing in you. Everything we've got, time, energy, talent, and resources given unto Christ. We are Jesus' people here at First Baptist, and we are in Matthew chapter 10. And this is an important text. It's a watershed moment in the letter, in the, in the gospel rather, and in the teaching from Matthew. It's also a very important moment in the life and ministry of Jesus as he turns from what he has personally been doing now to his disciples. Matthew has recorded the birth narratives. He's recorded the baptism. He's recorded the temptation of Jesus. He's recorded the Sermon on the Mounts, three chapters, the longest discourse that is recorded of Jesus' teaching. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he's talked about some of the teaching and some of the miracles that Jesus did. And he concluded that with a campaign of teaching and healing in the, in the villages and towns of Galilee at the end of chapter 9, where he went about and seeing the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then we come to the moment when he conveys to his disciples the task that is now theirs to do. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve. Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, 
Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. A great crescendo. Freely you've received. Freely give. The challenge to his disciples. The world is so big. The universe, such a great expanse. I tried to teach the children, two and three years old, about how God created the heavens and the earth, hoping I could give them some sense of the hugeness of all that God had made. But I brought a globe, and all they wanted to do was spin it. You know, and I said, you live right here, and that didn't amount to anything with them. In 1977, we launched Voyager 1 and sent it into space. And for all these years that my daughter Rebecca has been alive, Voyager has been going through space. And now, 36 years later, they have decided that Voyager has reached what they call interstellar space. That is, the space between the stars. And the sun no longer has the kind of influence and impact it did on Voyager and its readings in the early years. Now, it's just out there in the wide open spaces. They say that if it travels another 300 years, it will get to the Oort belt, a belt around our solar system. And if it travels another 30,000 years, it will get through the Oort belt and depart our solar system. Now, our solar system is only a tiny part of the Milky Way galaxy in which it spins, and there are thousands and thousands and millions of solar systems and even galaxies. The expanse of space is incomprehensible. And so is, too, God's attention to me. Like the psalmist of ancient days, I say, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care about him and yet you've created him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor why send your son here why pay attention to my prayers in such a vast universe this tiny little spot God demonstrated how much he cared for us in that he sent his son. And his son came to heal the sick and drive the demons away and preach the good news of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he did so in this great campaign and in this moment now, he passes on to his disciples the calling and responsibility to carry the good work out into the villages, out into the land, 
It is the moment where he transfers his own authority to the 12, where he bridges from his ministry to theirs. And it is a crisis moment for them as they prepare to go out into the world and are called now to heal the sick and to cast out demons and even to raise the dead and to preach the kingdom of heaven has come near. We are only privileged to gather in this place around the purpose that we share, which is the proclamation and teaching of the word of God and the demonstration of the love of God both here among us and out there in our world. This is only possible. It only happens because Jesus, Son of God and Savior of the world, chose to involve us in his work. Let the giving start. It starts right here. Let the giving start. We have envelopes in our pews. This envelope right here. Go ahead and get you one, all right? Go ahead and get you one. I want you to take one home. Maybe you say, well, I got one at home. I still want you to get one of these, okay? And uh, go ahead and put your name on it. That'd be all right, too. There's a space in the back. Just put your name on the envelope. Now, I want you to imagine that the great giving God of the universe has sent this envelope to you with your name on it, all right? Guess what's inside? Inside is authority over every evil spirit in your life. Over every sickness and disease. He gave them this authority. How do you do that? How do you give somebody that authority? I mean, it's not like a tool or an implement. It's not like he had 12 somethings in a basket that he gave to them and said, here you have it. No, he already demonstrated that he had authority over sickness and disease. The demons run screaming out of his presence. He's already shown that in his own ministry. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they watched Jesus with open mouths as the demons were subject to Jesus in, in his word as he, as he threw them out of people and, and the diseases were healed and Jesus has taken that authority that they've already seen, the power that belongs to him and he is giving it to them. He's transferring it to them. It's his authority, it's his power, and he's transferring it to them. It is a powerful moment. Is that me making that noise? All right. I got some power here. I think it's scratching my beard. Now, the power that Jesus used to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead was not a power that was intrinsic to his own deity as the son of God. 
I want you to hear this because sometimes we think about Jesus going out into the world and of course he can heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. He's, he's God. He can do that. But you'll note now that the disciples also are going to do that. He's giving them the authority to go do that. And so what I want you to see here is that every good thing that Jesus did in his ministry and the miracles which he accomplished were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus became man, he laid, when the Son of God became man, he laid aside his divine prerogatives, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. He was still fully God, but he laid these aside. He emptied himself, as Philippians chapter 2 said, and we saw just a few weeks ago. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he operated in the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on this planet. So he could transfer this power of the Holy Spirit to his apostles who operated then in the power of the Holy Spirit in their own personal campaigns. And he said to them later on, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't you dare go out into the world until the power comes, until the Spirit comes, until you receive what I'm about to send. And it was only after the Spirit came in the upper room that they went out and turned the world upside down. They were waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his gift to you. Hey, you know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you? What is going on here? Making so much noise. If your child asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If he asked for bread, would you give him a snake? If you, as imperfect a parent as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's interesting, the power to cast out evil spirits the demons fled in front of Jesus you ought to remember as you live and breathe on the planet that evil is not simply internal to you it is external to you and it's not simply passive it is active and aggressive in other words there is a personal force of evil that is aggressive and external to you and he wants to bring you down the writer says the devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour and he wants to devour you and you are better equipped for work in the world and school in the world and your presence in the world if you remember that evil's not just here but it's out there too and it's after you and you hear it sometimes come on back come on back you say you got saved and Jesus changed your life, but we've been missing you. Come on back. You left some of these things you used to do, and we want you in on our stuff, so come on back. How many invitations back do you get into the world that you left and the mess that you left? And a lot of it is external to you. It's outside of you. It's other people vocalizing their request, their wish that you would come on back into what you left. 
Jesus gives you authority over every external evil in your life. So you can say no. And every evil spirit that hovers over you, and by this I mean the demeanor, the attitude, the presence of mind and heart that smothers you sometimes and covers you and brings you down. The thing internal to you, the evil that's inside. Jesus gives you authority over that evil too so that you can, in Jesus' name, defeat the evil that is both outside and inside. It's his gift to you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now that you know Jesus as Savior, don't say to me, oh, that's just how I am. You know? You got to excuse me for this sin. That's just who I am. No, sir. St. Augustine said, before you trust Christ and have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not free not to sin. It's a double negative, but an important truth. That a person without the Holy Spirit, without Christ in his life, is just unable to say no. But once you have Christ in your life and once the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are free not to sin. There is a new authority in your life, a new presence in your life. It is God's gift to you. It has been transferred to you from the one who saved you through the Holy Spirit. I've wondered sometimes about the unholiness in the church. I mean, in church people and just in general. And how it is that people who call themselves by the name of Jesus can act so many times in ungodly and unholy ways. And I know, I do it too. It's not like any of us are perfect. But I think we are making excuses for ourselves. We are thinking that we cannot be free when in Christ he has made us free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And we need to, this day and this week, claim what is ours in Christ. Unpack it. What you got in Jesus is amazing. When you trusted Jesus, we had two children ask Jesus into their heart, and they came this morning in the early service. They don't know yet all they got in Jesus. I didn't know. But if you walk with him and you read his word, I mean, the things begin to unfold in your life, all that you got when Jesus saved you. And some of us need to unpack what is ours in Christ. Somebody here needs to start, start saying no in Jesus' name to habits that have ridden on your life for years. Somebody needs to stop saying no to the excuses you make and start saying in Jesus' name and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am not going to let this thing rule me and enslave me. I'm going to stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and be who he's called me to be. That's authority over the evil spirit. And look, if you don't want that, if you don't want 
to be the person God's called you to be and you don't want that holiness in your life, then you ought to check and see if you really trust Jesus as Savior. Is he really in your life? Because if the Holy Spirit is in your life, he is holy and he's not going to let you get away with sin. I have people sometimes come and say, how could I possibly be in Christ? Look at this thing that's happening to me. I feel so terrible about it. And I said, the reason you feel terrible is that the Holy Spirit's in your life and he's convicting you and you need to desert that thing that has crept into your life and has poisoned your heart and is separating you in your relationship with Christ. You walk away from those terrible habits and deeds of mind and heart and you feel unclean yourself and you can't take your place in the place of prayer and you feel like you can't go into the house of worship. You feel separated from God because of the uncleanness in your heart. It's the unclean spirit. And Jesus gave you authority to cast it out. And if you approach it in his name, it'll run out of your life. It's in the book. I'm not saying, uh, saying don't take some measures. I'm saying take some measures in your life. Introduce not only the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting God that he's going to clean you up and set you free, but introduce the disciplines that bring about holy living. Replace the stuff you know is evil with the stuff you know is good. Put it close at hand. Keep it close to your heart. Make some appointments with the Savior on a daily basis throughout the day check in with him your attitude your actions brothers and sisters we are working more than a hundred of us in the formal ministries of this church to take the love of Christ to people in need in the community and the cleaner we are of heart and hands the more powerful our work will be Our witness in the world shines more brightly when our heart is more purely his. And yes, you don't ever get to perfection in this life, but that doesn't mean we excuse the unholiness within. Authority over the evil spirits Jesus gave to them and authority over illness and disease. He gave to them. Our first impulse ought to be to pray when somebody gets sick. Why? Because the authority over illness and disease is in the name of Jesus. That's why. And God responds often to the prayers of his people. Now, I'm not going to tell you you have any guarantee that God's going to physically heal you in this life. And if he does, you rejoice in that. But you know you're probably going to get sick again, and one of these days you're going to die. So the authority that God gives you over disease and illness is not just in the present hour. It's the perspective that one day there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more death, for the former things have passed away. That's what John the Apostle wrote right at the end of the book. John was there when Jesus transferred the authority over disease and illness to the apostles. Jesus was there, and many years later, he wrote, there's a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and earth have passed away, and I see the holy city, and 
there is no sickness there. There is no sorrow there. There is no suffering there. There is no death there. And they don't even need a son in the holy city because God himself is the son. And the authority we have in Christ to stand in confidence in him is that disease and illness does not have the power to bring us down and tear us up and kill our faith. We know the God of the resurrection and complete healing is in him. Let the giving start. Let the record show. Matthew records the names of the 12 apostles here. He records them for posterity. He wants everybody to know. He makes comments on eight of the 12. When we have a family gathering, eight of these names are in my immediate family. We've got Peter, James, John, and Andrew right there in our immediate family, and Philip too, and Bartholomew, and Simon. And I mean, eight of them are in the family. How about in your family? I'll bet it's the same with you. Don't you know some Johns and James? Who are these guys? They're the people to whom the authority is transferred from Jesus to them. And they are ordinary guys who smelled like fish. Cleaned fish for a living. Four of them did. One of them was basically a bookkeeper. He collected taxes. Everybody hated him. He makes sure he put it in the list, though. Matthew, the tax collector, the one occupation he identifies is his own. He gives the little things about him. None of my family named anybody Judas, by the way. There were two Judases in the list, two Simons in the list, and two Jameses in the list, so there are nine unique names in the 12. These are ordinary people. That's who they are. They're young men who haven't been to university. They've not really proven themselves in life. They're still connected to their father's business, some of them. And Jesus calls them to be the 12. Not just the 12 disciples, which is learner. That's what he says in verse 1. He called the disciples to him. And then he says, and these are the names of the 12 apostles. An apostle is not just a learner. An apostle is an ambassador, a messenger, a delegate. He is one who is sent out on the authority of another. These are the men designated and delegated with the task of going into the world with the ministry and message of Jesus. And they are ordinary people and Matthew intends for us to be encouraged by this. They have struggles just like we have struggles. And they were able to be used of God to turn the world upside down. And God can do the same with his church in this day and in this time. And he wants to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sent out in Jesus' name with the authority that we possess. We can make a difference in our world like these 12 people did. But you have to go on the record. The record's important. There are a lot of folks who don't want to be on the record. They don't want to have their name down. I'm not putting my name down. I want to remain anonymous. I want to be on the periphery. I want to watch from the outside. And when I talk about that group, I'm going to talk about them in the third person, those people. It's time to think about whether you really belong on the periphery 
anonymous or not. I'll bet you there's one of these 12 that didn't like his privacy invaded. He didn't really want everybody to know him. He was uncomfortable in the, in the limelight. I'll bet there's one. But his name's in the list. Yeah. There's somebody here who trusted Jesus and you never followed through in baptism because you haven't gone on record yet. You used to belong to church, but you don't anymore because you're not on the record anymore. Let the record show. Put your name on the envelope. Think about how personally God loved you and rescued you. How razor sharp his focus was in bringing his message to you and his messengers to you and drawing you to himself. And say in your heart, Lord, I know I'm on your record. And I'm willing to be on the record too. Put my name down. If your name is in the book of life, you're in God's record. These guys are known throughout the world as people who followed Jesus. It's time to go on the record. Let the lost be found. Jesus brings up sheep again. He just talked about him in the previous uh, paragraph. And now he says, I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I read through this passage and I think, look, these disciples, they must be getting confused. They're going to think that the whole work of Jesus and of his apostles is about people with evil spirits and people with disease and illness and people who are lost, helpless, and harassed. I mean, they're going to think that's the work of the church. Well, maybe it is. Maybe Jesus came into the world to save sinners and help people who were sick. And maybe he sent his apostles into the world to do the same. And maybe he left his church here for the people who were sick and in need and harassed and helpless and lost. Can you get into it? Does that sound like somewhere you want to be? If we took Jesus out of the noisy crowd and we put you in it, how do you feel about that? You say, well, I'm not Jesus. No, but you're, you're a little Christ. That's what Christian means. You're a follower of Jesus. You're trying to put your feet in the steps he took, aren't you? And if you do that, if you follow him faithfully, you're going to walk right into the mess and trouble and evil and problems in the world. And you're going to be in touch with people in need if you do it. He's already there. He's already bending over the helpless and the hopeless and the harassed, binding up their wounds, pouring in the oil, waiting on you. God has a power to unleash in his world. A power of love of neighbor and love of God. Energized through his Holy Spirit among a holy people who, who are ready to be like their Savior was in the world. Freely you have received freely give 
you didn't pay a thing for your salvation or the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You couldn't buy it if you had all the money in the world. It came to you free. The instructions of Jesus are what you have received freely, you go out and give. Let's bow together. Holy Spirit, attend to our need, we pray. Lord, for the one who feels harassed and helpless and lost, would you draw them to yourself in this moment, in this sacred moment, God? We ask you to do your work in our hearts for the believer who's bound down by an evil that seems they cannot conquer. God, would you set them free? Lord, would you give us the gift of faith? Help us see what authority we received in you. God, show us the way forward for the one who has never gone on the record by your Holy Spirit to convict and guide. And Lord, help us be bold and publicly identifying with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.